Hey everyone, before we get into the show, I just want to share some pretty exciting news, and that is that last week we finally launched early access to Tailwind UI, which is a collection of professionally designed, fully responsive HTML components built with Tailwind CSS, put together by myself, the creator of Tailwind, Adam Wallen, and Steve Shoger, co-author of Refactoring UI. If you love working with Tailwind, but maybe don't consider yourself much of a designer, or maybe you just want to move really fast and don't want to get hung up on tricky layout problems or weird CSS behavior, uh, definitely check it out. I promise is going to save you hours and hours of time and it'll make building beautiful modern user interfaces a breeze. Uh, we're super proud of everything that we've published so far and excited to keep adding new components every single month until we run out of ideas. So head over to tailwindui.com and check it out. Picking up is a great way to support both Tailwind CSS as well as this podcast. In this episode of Full Stack Radio, Sam Salikov joins the show to talk to me about the lessons I learned building Tailwind UI. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 135. Yeah, so I guess maybe for anyone who uh, is just hasn't really been following along with this project, um, Steve Shoger and I, my business partner who I worked on refactoring UI with for the last, I mean, I think our first prototype was March last year. So just about a year now, uh, we've kind of been tossing around this idea of putting together some sort of commercial product on top of Tailwind CSS that um, offers like premium either like themes or templates or a UI kit. It was kind of like, we didn't really have it totally figured out at the beginning, but we just knew that there was, there was something we could build somewhere that would like help people move faster with Tailwind who weren't as design inclined or maybe not as good with CSS as you kind of need to be to really achieve really good results with Tailwind or just to help people move faster in general where we work out some annoying edge cases and um, stuff like that we just thought okay there's there's something we can build that's like an html only product that gives people a bunch of um kind of starter templates for achieving common things um with tailwind and we think people will pay for it and we think it's a good way to help um sort of sustain development uh, on the product so tailwind ui is uh, that essentially and we can talk more about what it is uh, specifically but yeah that's kind of like where the story starts at least yeah and it was i mean correct me if i'm wrong but it was really born out of a lot of the feedback from refactoring ui right i mean i, I kind of think this is funny because you you always say like sometimes you say things like oh i don't do like a lot of research and i just kind of go with my gut but i think you're kind of doing yourself a disservice i think you're really you really put yourself in touch with kind of the people you teach and the people you serve and Tailwind itself came from uh, people really resonating with the utility work you were doing in your live streams, right? Mm -hmm. And then you guys put out Refactoring UI and people loved it and they were like, I kind of want the next layer on top and you guys noticed that and that's kind of what led to Tailwind UI, right? Yeah, definitely there was a lot of different signals that kind of contributed to it, right? Like at at its most basic, one kind of piece of evidence that we had that maybe this was an idea worth exploring was just the fact that uh, like there's theme marketplaces out there already that are clearly successful businesses where people buy pre-built stuff. Um, so like there's the bootstrap theme store, there's like theme forest, stuff like that. And well, I don't think that personally, I've never had great results using those products. So I was a little bit, a s- little bit skeptical about like what we'd be able to pull off in that space. It did seem mm-hmm. like, this is something that people buy. So um, if we're trying to figure out a way to make Tailwind six, or financially sustainable, mm-hmm. then that seems like an interesting place to look because at least there's precedent for it, right? Um, yep. So that was kind of like the first kind of 
piece of evidence that maybe it was something worth looking at. And then after that, um, it's kind of a combination of two things. There was Refactoring UI, which was the design for developers book we put out. And uh, a lot of the feedback that we got from that, all the feedback was generally positive, but there was a lot of people who were like, um, are you guys ever going to do like HTML stuff, like pre-built, pre-designed stuff? Like the book is helping me get better at design, but I want something that's like even more done for you, right? Like right. where I have to do even less of it myself. So that was kind of a good signal. Uh, and then also just paying attention to like um, we have a Tailwind Discord community. Mm-hmm. And just about every day someone's asking a question like, has anyone seen an example of a carousel built with Tailwind? Or has anyone mm-hmm. seen an example of a pricing table built with Tailwind? Or... Uh, whatever and um i know that like the little examples we have on the tailwind docs already i see those get like reused everywhere all the time like so many people have like used that one nav bar example and stuff totally like that, right? i mean so. the, the first time i was showing this one person uh tailwind my friend and um uh she was like all right let's see what buttons we have and she clicked on like components and buttons it's totally just an examples page and there's like five buttons that look completely different just to show you the flexibility of Tailwind. But her initial impression was almost like, oh, here's what I have to choose from. Then you're like, okay, it's all my code and I own every part of it and I can customize it. Mm -hmm. But I think especially when you're in that beginner mindset and you're coming at these libraries, especially if you're used to coming from something like a material uh, UI or a bootstrap, you're going to look for those higher level components. Um, But that's one of the beautiful things about Tailwind and Tailwind UI is that you don't have to compromise there. It's kind of like it's like that Adam Wadden twist on this whole theme forest thing, which is like I would never use that myself. What would I have to make it so that I would use it so that I never have to give up control, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean like the whole story of how we even got to where we are with exactly what the product is is long and probably interesting in some ways but boring in other ways so i probably don't want to get too into into the details there i guess but where we ended up at least is um basically tailwind ui is like a a hosted kind of like component directory um full of a bunch of different stuff designed by steve and myself and built uh by steve and myself well mostly by me but with steve's help fine-tuning the (laughs) designs and stuff like that um where you can just kind of browse around different component categories and uh, find something that is close to what you need and grab the HTML for it and dump it into your project and then you own it and you can tweak it as much as you want. So it doesn't add any like bootstrap style classes or anything like that where you know, you're you're pulling in a library that we've installed given you or anything. There is like a de- dependency currently, but it's sort of just like while we're in early access kind of fine tuning things, there's some things that we needed to add um to tailwind some values and stuff that we needed to achieve the designs that we wanted but generally Mm -hmm. the idea is that like you you copy the code and take ownership of it and tweak it as much as you want which um is nice yeah that's important for folks to understand and just you know when y'all launched last week and seeing some people who maybe weren't tailwind users or who have been kind of vicariously following along like utility css but don't use it themselves yet there's definitely that that gap because they're coming from a context of something like a bootstrap or material. And that is like a dependency you add to your project. And, you know, if you have to override uh, styles from bootstrap, you are working against bootstrap in a sense. Yeah. Uh, th- th- this is for folks who use like uh, react. An example here would be like installing a 
react use measure dependency and then you import like use measure from the library and it's a dependency of your project which is good and bad because it's done for you but like those dependencies can break there can be bugs in them they can update it's something that you are responsible for maintaining versus finding a gist of like that hook copying it and pasting it which is actually a great way to get started with a lot of stuff because you have to kind of understand it and now you can tweak it to your use case and you don't have to worry about it being an external dependency so i kind of see tailwind ui uh, to bootstrap and material the same way where you can just literally copy in a component and it's all there. You don't have a new dependency. You don't have to worry about things breaking. Um, you can put it in one part of your app without changing the design of the rest. So I kind of see that analogy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the other benefit of it has been um, we don't have to f- we don't have to sort of uh, anticipate every sort of piece that you might want to change, right? And figure out like what's the perfect API for this component to make sure that you can customize it in every way that you want. Because inevitably we're gonna not anticipate some change that someone wants to make and now they're going to want to just copy it and own it anyways so exactly i mean uh, how often does that happen whether you're doing ui stuff from bootstrap or even um ui components with javascript built in from libraries i mean mm -hmm. that's like the whole story you install it it does 90 percent of what you need and then you open issues and wait for prs to do the last bit so yeah um this is a nice it strikes a nice balance so yeah yeah, yeah. So that's where we ended up going with it, anyways. And and what we launched last week was like two uh, kits or packages. We had a hard time coming up with the right terminology, but we decided to sort of split it up based on what we'd done so far into like stuff for marketing sites and stuff for like application UIs. So the marketing sites has categories for like heroes, uh, feature sections, contact sections, uh, testimonials, all the sorts of stuff that you would like kind of like those stackable sections you would stack on top of each other to build like a landing page. Yeah, there's pancakes we always call them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's a bunch of different like uh, examples in each category and a lot more to come since we did do this as like an early access thing. And then the application UI stuff is is where you have like your sidebar layouts, your stacked layouts, your form layouts, your tables, tables, your UI lists, your drop downs, your buttons, um, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like what we uh, what we put together and launched with uh, last week, and we have a, a lot more to do. But so far, uh, so far it's been going pretty good. So yeah, I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about today is just kind of. Um, kind of the some of the interesting things that i personally learned building this about working with tailwind and about like how to build um more robust uh, user interfaces because there's something interesting about uh trying to build stuff that's meant for other people to consume that um forces you to consider things that normally you would just like sweep under the rug if you were just doing it for yourself you know it, it exposes any cracks in the edifice that you might have yeah because you really need to make things like as resilient to content changes and stuff as possible so like a common thing that i'll do on my own sites is um you know like oh i have these like four items in this list and if the text gets too long it ruins the layout so i'll just make sure the text doesn't get too long right but i can't make those sorts of assumptions as often when i'm trying to build something that other people have to have to use so a lot of interesting things that you have to do to try and make things as as non-brittle as possible right so mm -hmm. it was a pretty interesting experience uh in that regard for sure cool are you still a fan of tailwind 
I am still a fan of Tailwind for sure. There are definitely <laughs> um, definitely things like opportunities that I see to make it better now, though, which is uh, which has been interesting, and most of it in a non-breaking way, which has been good. So cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. Why don't Where we do just start? start? We we can start with um, I think just some of the more interesting things that you were learning about. Um, I know the white space stuff uh, was a was an interesting one. I, I know the grid layout stuff was was interesting. The and the line height stuff. I mean, those are the ones that kind of just off the top of my head. Yeah. Okay. So the line height one maybe is a line good place height. to start because yeah. that one was pretty interesting. So by default, Tailwind includes like these leading utilities, right, for setting line height, and we include. I think like five or six, maybe seven by default that are all just using like the unit list relative line heights. So we have like letting none, which is line height one. So it matches the font size exactly. Letting loose, which I think is two. Letting normal, which is 1.5. Like letting tight, which is 1.25. And all this is good and it's nice. And it, it sounds like a great idea at first because you have like decoupled your like line height system from like everything else right so it's like no matter what font size i set i know i can make the text tight or loose or kind of like normal just by using this like multiplier essentially so like if you had a five page essay in high school and you double space it and you double change space it, triple space everything's it, maybe. the same yeah. big margins <laughs> add um, a space of uh, you know around the period so it, it pushes it out yeah and, uh, <laughs> all those little tricks but basically it's you can change the font size and it's still going to be double spaced that's yeah, how exactly. Tailwind has worked up until this point it's all relative that's how it all works yeah and that is um sounds like a good idea in principle but we ran into some situations where this was like the cause of a lot of pain for us. So the the real issue is um, for all of our application UI components, we use kind of like a Tailwind's default font size is just like 16 pixels, which is what the browser uses by default. And we just have, I think it's like text base is one rem. So 16 pixels, unless the user has like configured that in their user agent style sheet or whatever in their Chrome preferences. And uh, but for the actual application UI stuff, even though we still use one rem as being 16 pixels for a lot of the content, we're using 14 pixels. Um, so text in, like form inputs, we do 14 pixels buttons. We do 14 pixels. A lot of like copy that you would see in an application UI, like maybe you have like a form and there's like a, a heading for a section of the form. And then there's like a paragraph kind of explaining like what that piece of the form is for. We use 14 pixels for basically all that stuff. And, um, and the you reason got that from there's precedent for that. Yeah. Th- yeah. So Steve just has always done that. Um, and he likes how it looks. And I always push back on every decision that he, he wants to make, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> I'm always the one who's like, okay, well, I, I think that looks good, but like, I don't really just i don't want to just trust it i always want to make sure that if we're making something that like we're putting out there for other people that there's uh examples from other companies who have really thoughtful ui teams that have made the same decision just so that because that just gives me this peace of mind of feeling like well if like shopify uses 14 pixels for like their application ui text size generally um then we're probably going to be safe doing that too. Because if it was a horrible idea, they would have changed that by now because it's a huge app with tons of smart people working on it used by millions of people. Um, Yeah. And changing the default from, or if the default 16 going to 14 feels like it needs to be justified because it's just smaller than that base level. I know 
at one point on iOS, like if you did that and you tap on an input, like Safari would zoom in to make it effectively yeah. 16 pixels. So Still there's does all that, that kind of by stuff. the way, and that's, that's okay. all related to this. Okay, um, but yeah, so like we did leave the root font size as 16 pixels, but we used like Tailwind's text SM utility for most of yeah. like the UI elements. Got you. Um, and again, just because like Steve liked how it looked and we f- could find enough precedent for it that made us feel like, okay, like this is like a, a safe thing to do. We could have gone with 16, but it just made everything feel like a little bit, a little bit too big. And I think even though the trend is for like things to get bigger and bigger as like screen sizes get bigger and bigger and stuff like that, I think, um, I like things to, I like that things are a little bit tighter. Like when you're working in like an actual productivity tool, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I think like sometimes the dribblers of the world get a little bit carried away with like almost too much airiness to things. And you have to remember that like people are actually trying to use this tool to like get something done. <laughs> you don't want to have to scroll through pages and pages of content that could have all fit on like one screen. So yeah, of course you want things to not look like a noisy mess, but I think yeah. trying to keep things, you know, uh, as kind of tight as possible without looking bad, I think is a good, is good for the user experience too. Yeah. Um, Especially for the kinds of back office stuff that you would expect a lot of folks using these app components are building or, you know, productivity software, or it should be, it should be able to be used for that. In addition to, you know, the more polished end user stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we made sure that with everything that we were designing, like I have this friggin' insane uh, Pro Display XDR, right? This like 6K Apple monitor. Um, <laughs> so it's easy for me to like look at 16 pixel font on something that's like full screen and be like, I can see everything. Right. <laughs> um, but right. so we had to be careful to make sure that I was, uh, I was, uh, we were always do- testing our designs in like Chrome's like DevTools mode at like a 1280 by 800 or whatever viewport and just seeing like how much can we see. Um, yep. It's always surprising when I open up my you know, laptop and it's, uh, it's just, it's completely different from what you were thinking. Yeah, so it yeah. Adds. yeah. So we found that the 14 pixels helped a lot there, but mm-hmm. the, the problem with this is that, so hmm, let me think, where should I actually start with this? So one thing that we were trying to like figure out was, doesn't it tie back to the fact that you needed to fix the height you decided you yeah, landed on fixed ex- heights exactly. of, of buttons and form inputs so if you're looking at like buttons and form inputs we wanted to figure out like how tall should our buttons and form inputs be mm-hmm. um that's this was like a week-long effort by the way like testing mm-hmm. out every possible combination of things that we could trying to decide what size do we actually want this stuff to be and um the approach that i've always used historically for setting like the height of an input or the height of a button is to rely on vertical padding to essentially define the height because I want the button height to change if for whatever weird reason the button text has to wrap, which should probably be avoided at all costs. But if you have a bug in your UI or using some like localization stuff where like the text gets much longer than like you originally designed for um, and it has to wrap in a situation that you didn't anticipate, it's better for it to wrap than for it to get chopped off. Um, because you set a fixed height on the button, right? Because at least that way people can still read what it does, even if it doesn't look that great. Right. Um, and if the font size changes, then the button gets bigger too. Um, so that's why like I've historically always just used set the font size, set the line height, set some padding and try to get it to kind of the size I would like. Um, height is a derived value basically. Exactly. So that it's adaptive. 
Now, um, the issue that we were running into doing that is that if you take a 14 pixel font and by default, we use like the 1.5 line height, right? In Tailwind, that's like the default line height if you change nothing. So a 14 pixel font with a 1.5 line height means you have like an effective like text height, which is the line height of 21 pixels. Like the block that's containing the text is 21 pixels tall. Which means now, no matter what you do for padding, since you want the padding to be equal, you're going to end up with a button that is some odd number in height. And I think that the number that we were hitting by default was like 37 pixels or something, uh, or maybe 39. Because another thing that you have to consider is inputs usually have a one pixel border. Mm. And you want your buttons and inputs to probably be the same height in case like you ever have to put them next to each other in a horizontal layout right so i typically Mm -hmm. will add a one pixel border to my buttons too but set it to a transparent color so that it can't be seen just so that they're the same height you Mm -hmm. could just let them be different heights and they're just like rely on flex boxes like stretch behavior to make them Mm -hmm. the same height but that kind of feels junky to me that a button height would change based on whether it's next to an input or not Uh, to me it's like just get it a height that you like make it the same as inputs and keep it consistent um so what was I saying? So yeah, we had this button that's like 37 pixels or 39 pixels in height. And we're just looking at it thinking like, this is kind of a weird number, but I don't see what we could possibly do differently. Right. Mm-hmm. So we'll just roll with it. And then we noticed the first time we noticed a problem here was when we were building some nav bars and a lot of time you have like a, a, a button in a nav bar, right? Like maybe it's like the most commonly used action in the app. There's like kind of like a quick action for it or something. So say like you have this nav bar and you've got like an avatar and a company logo in the nav bar, right? All Tailwind sizing utilities are based on our like four pixel spacing scale. So if you try to set like a height of an avatar, you're always doing something like H10W10 or like H8W8 or something. So you're always going to get an even number. Because 32 pixels or something exactly. like that. Mm-hmm. And then if you build your nav bar using padding, the same way we do with buttons, well, now your nav bar is going to be even height as well. Because, mm-hmm. well, not necessarily, actually. Your nav bar is always going to be, its height, if you use padding for a nav bar, is always going to be derived from the height of the tallest child plus padding. Mm-hmm. So if like mm-hmm. your avatar is 40 pixels, but your buttons are 39 pixels, and you have, uh, say, 8 pixels of padding on each side, then you're going to end up with like a 56 pixel tall nav bar because that's going to be your 40 plus 8 plus 8 mm-hmm. for the vertical padding, um, which sounds fine, except now you have this thing that's 56 pixels tall and you have a 37 pixel or 39 pixel tall button. And even using Flexbox to center stuff, when the browser tries to center this button inside this nav bar, it can't because you can't center something that's an odd height inside something that's an even height. It has to be either offset down by a pixel or offset up by a pixel. And uh, we didn't notice this for a little while until one day we were just looking at it and it just it just caught our eye. You know, we were just like, wait a second, does this not look centered? And uh, then we brought everything into Figma, pulled down our rulers and measured it. And like, sure enough. Oh man. Um, and, and it's it's noticeable too because I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but the way I remember this is like the padding like above the button was always like two pixels more than the padding at the bottom. Not well, just that's like what one. I was gonna I was gonna actually ask even before you're talking about the nav bar, the button itself being odd height, and what about the text and the button being centered? Was there a problem there, or was it looked, that fine? It looked fine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because the button was trying to center like it was trying to center the 21 pixel line height in the 39 pixel button right mm. so that's like odd in odd so it ends so up you're working good to out go okay there. got you but as soon as you try to put even in odd or odd in even then the browser has to round and you end I up see. with like a one pixel kind of offset so we saw that and we thought wow this sucks uh now everything in our nav bars that's using a 14 pixel font and relying on padding for its height is going to be offset by a pixel. And this wasn't even just buttons. This was like links that are kind of like that pill style where mm-hmm. like maybe you hover them and they get like a little background color. Yep. Exact same problem because you're building yep. those with 14 pixel font and a vertical padding. Yep. So we had to figure out like what was a solution to this problem. So um, the first thing that we thought to do is, okay, well, we need to when we realized what the problem was, which was just like mix it of odd and odd even plus numbers, even, you're done basically. We had to figure out how can we get these buttons to be like an even height, and now or like basically everything that we ever do in any of these UIs should be an even number in height, or we're going to run into problems. Either right. like all odd or odd, all even, and because our spacing scale was already all even, it's like yes, clearly even is like what we should be striving for here. So we. Uh, we realized like so fickle (laughs) yeah the only way to get this working is to like is to make it so that we're using a line height such that when multiplying that line height by 14 you get an even number or the alternative was just switch everything to 16 pixels which we did consider but steve was just couldn't stomach it he just (laughs) he had to have his 14 pixels and i thought this is fair like we shouldn't have to like completely yeah remove this entire like design decision and aesthetic just because of this thing there's got to be another solution so this goes back to what you're talking about which is like it's building these components for real you know in such a generic way is really putting some of the core assumptions of tailwind some of the premises baked into the library to the test Mm -hmm. and uh, if you come out able to accommodate even these kinds of more sophisticated designs or um, all the aesthetics that Steve wants. It just makes Tailwind that much stronger and more robust, you know? For sure. For sure. Yeah. So we had to figure out a way to get these buttons to be an even height. Um, and we, we knew like the only way to do this is to make sure that the line height multiplied by the font size comes out to an even number because that's what's going to determine whether it's odd or even since the padding is always just going to be keeping it odd or keeping it even since it's the same on both sides. Um, so we just started experimenting with like the line heights that Tailwind comes with and just seeing like, okay, which ones can we add to a 14 pixel text and get an even result? And the only ones that would give us an even result were letting none, which would give us a line height of 14 on 14 pixel text or letting loose, which would give us a line height of 28 on 14 pixel text. So double. Mm. So, um, we debated like what to do there and line height one sounds like a good idea in in general right because it's like i'm not adding any extra space it's going to keep like the element kind of like contained just to the text and things are going to be like really predictable i'm not going to have like this weird bottom and top extra white space that i have to deal with Mm -hmm. but problem with that whole approach which is really annoying is um if for whatever reason you have to ever apply like overflow hidden to an element that has a line height of one, and this is like not uncommon, say like you want to be able to truncate text where you have like the ellipsis at the end, you have to use overflow hidden for that to even work for like text overflow ellipsis to take effect. Mm -hmm. You need overflow hidden as well. As soon as you do that, anything outside of like the bounding box of the text is going to get cut off. 
which means things like descenders, like the bottom of like a lowercase g, gets um. chopped off because your line height is 14 pixels and like that g extends past that 14 pixels. Interesting. So that's, so that's no good. Sadly, it would be great if it was possible, but that's just the way yeah. the browsers work and basically means using like a line height of one is um yeah it's not really it's generally not the best idea the only time i actually use that these days is on like big headlines where the text actually wraps and adding anything bigger than one literally looks bad because you Mm -hmm. want it to kind of be tight because the letters are are nice and big so and then you accommodate for the ascenders and descenders with padding you just know that yeah because you never you're never going to throw overflow hidden on it or anything anyways um, and even if you do, you're going to have vertical padding probably baked into the headline. You'll work around it in that case because you need it, you know. Right, but right. Um, as like a general rule, it's like not worth um, the trouble in my experience. Um, we did consider it though because we thought, well, who's going to like have overflow hidden on a button? Probably no one. It'll probably be fine. So we tried tried it out to see what we could achieve. And um, an interesting tidbit that is like basically not documented anywhere. That I had to discover for myself is that if you try to use a line height on a text input in the browser that's less than about like 1.15 the browser just like straight up ignores it so if, <laughs> if you have an input with like line height one um and an input with like line height 1.16 the input with line height 1.16 is actually shorter than the input with line height one because that's like the shortest line height that'll actually take effect and when you go past that threshold the browser doesn't like clamp it to the floor it just goes back to whatever it thinks the default should be so it's just whatever the browser decides i mean maybe look, look the same across browsers no it's just like completely random so that was like okay we cannot use a line height of one on uh form inputs that is out of the question so we so the only other option at this point was like okay i guess we'll use a line height of two so we'll have like a 28 pixel line right. height on buttons right and we thought well as long as the text never wraps this is going to be okay but we okay actually you know what we actually almost did accept this trade-off we almost thought okay let's just do it we'll just stick with the um the line height of two and uh but we'll wouldn't just, that make the minimum height a lot like it would make every... it higher but you would just have to reduce the padding right so instead of okay, maybe yeah. eight pixels of padding now we're going to do four pixels or whatever gotcha. to try and compensate for it so we almost did that and we thought we'll just throw like white space no wrap on all our buttons to make sure that like it never actually wraps and things just always like get longer as if necessary and then uh we remembered that text areas exist and we want our text areas to match our form input oh. styles, right? So if we had a line height of two on text areas, that would mean everything you type into a text area is going to be like double spaced and just look stupid. So that was like, okay, we can't use a line height of two. So then we thought, and I don't know how, I don't remember the order that all these options happen in, but another thing we consider is why don't we just try using like fixed heights on, um, on our inputs and on our buttons so just like we do for an avatar or something with like a h10 to get a 40 pixels tall why don't we just do that on buttons too um and make those 40 pixels tall and just explicit height move on i could find a lot of sites that did do that and um seemed okay but what i realized was uh even using a, an explicit height you have the same problem where um the line height and like the text chunk 
is still an odd number in height. So now you have that same problem that I was talking about before where you're trying to like align a button inside a nav bar, but now it's happening just within the button. So the text is trying to align inside the fixed type button and now it's going to be off by a pixel. And the only way to work around that was still trying to get the line height to um, a number that was even. And then we also remembered text areas again. And it was like, well, we can't use fixed heights on, on form inputs Mm. because a text area could be any height depending Mm -hmm. on like how many lines you want showing or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so when I, the text area thing was what convinced me a hundred percent, like we should not use explicit heights on this stuff. Like, uh, cause we have to use the same solution for text areas that we do for inputs. And the only way to make things look right on text areas is to use vertical padding, which means we should use vertical padding everywhere. Explicit heights now ruled out as a, uh, a solution. Yep. So side note, do you think it's a problem that the browser renders like the line height outside of wrapped text like that line height takes effect on single lines of text? I think it kind of is. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's more complex than it sounds, but I think in a perfect world, line height would just be controlling the space between lines and it wouldn't wouldn't be like above text or below text. Right. I have to imagine and like I this would be an interesting thing to test actually in like Microsoft Word when you set like the line spacing does increasing the line spacing move like the first line of text down right. the page because like that's right. what happens in the browser. Yeah, I don't think it does because there's even in pages they have like before paragraph and after paragraph which is really what this is about, you know. Yeah. Which, which is, is separate w- from which line would be padding line. in our yeah, case. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so it would be that would be nice if yeah. things worked <laughs> that way. Let's just let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um Okay, so, so you basically exhausted all your options. So we exhausted here. all these options. Me and Steve, this was at like twelve thirty at night, a few you're weeks in a dark, before dark place. launch. We're in a dark place. We're Start just reading like Nietzsche we, we, and you're we just have like to, <laughs> we have to come up with some solution. One solution we considered was like we have this Tailwind custom forms plugin that kind of sets like a more sensible default for form styles so that they're more like utility friendly. Like you can actually throw utilities on them and it'll actually do something which doesn't happen with like default browser styles um we thought maybe we just have to like bake some values into that but some crazy reset yeah the reason we didn't want to do that is what you were talking about before with the ios thing so there's this issue not really an issue but just an opinion that ios has which is like 14 pixels is too small for text fields and um, on iOS, if you have a text size less than 16 pixels in a form input, as soon as you tap that form input to focus it, the browser will like zoom in like 15% just to make sure that people can read what they're typing, which is totally reasonable. And if you look at any like really battle-tested bulletproof applications, you'll see they all switch to 16 pixel font for um, form inputs on on mobile so we knew that we had to do this too but we didn't want to bake in this like media query stuff into the custom forms plugin that was like a line i wasn't really willing to cross because mm-hmm. if someone's customized their breakpoints and stuff that's not going to be any good so my opinion was mm-hmm. like the way i want this to work is i want the custom forms plugin to assume a 16 pixel font for inputs since that's like our default font size and that's what'll work on mobile and then intel when ui if we want to use a smaller pixel or smaller font size on desktop we'll just take that that class that the custom forms plugin gives you which is like form dash input and we'll just slap like sm colon text sm at the end of it and we'll just say this is just an opinion we're layering on top specifically for these examples we reduce the font size to 14 pixels once you get above that breakpoint so that's what we wanted to do but now we still needed to figure out a way to come up with this like this line height solution i can't remember what exactly happened this night i do remember us both like going to bed defeated thinking we had like 
some solution in place that was like okay but not perfect and i can't remember what it was um whatever it was it sucked though and then the next morning i woke up and i thought well why don't we just add new line height utilities to tailwind that let you set the line height to explicit pixel values just like we have with font size and spacing and stuff like that so like we have letting none letting tight letting snug letting normal letting relaxed letting loose these kind of like more higher level abstractions over like how the line height feels right but what we needed in this case was like okay we have 14 pixel font well multiplying that by 1.5 gives us a 21 pixel line height we can't have it be 21 um but 20 that's a value that's in tailwind spacing scale already right and and it would have been fine from a design perspective it's not that fine 21 had to be there for some aesthetic reason yeah it'll totally look fine so we thought well, what if we just had an ability to just like set the line height to 20 pixels, which is 1.25 rem, just like set the line height to this value, completely ignore whatever the font size is, set the line height to this explicit value, which again, like you said, is going to be five in the scale. Cause if you wanted 20 exactly. pixels on the top, you'd do PT, PT dash, uh, five, which yeah. is five times four is 20 pixels. So mm-hmm. it's already there. Yeah, so this seemed so obvious in hindsight, but we added those extra values. I think we added from like 3 to 10 or something. Those seemed like sensible defaults to include. So all the way from like 12 pixels up to 40 pixels. And um, that just fixed all our problems. So, so we just, anytime we're using 14 pixel font, we just explicitly set the line height to 20 instead of 21. And now we get even numbers and we could do everything just fine. So since that discovery, basically, um, we basically switched to using explicit line heights for all text and all of toe and UI, uh, just because it made it so much more predictable in terms of sizing things. Um, so anytime we used 14 pixel text, we always had letting five. Anytime we used like large text, which was like 18, I think we used either letting six or letting seven maybe like depending on on the situation but it just made sure that we always had even numbers to work with all the time and everything uh, worked out so i never use like letting tight anymore at all interesting okay so here i I, there's still kind of a gap in my understanding so i understand how the even spacing lets you center it bring it tie it back to like these fixed height are, are, are we still talking about fixed height inputs or is the height now being derived from this? Sure. The height is totally derived. So we, we are just using font size plus line height plus padding plus border. So I think like what we actually landed on is 14 pixels plus 20 pixel line height, which basically means the 14 pixels is an irrelevant number, right? Because the 20 right. pixels so the, is the bounding like the box. box of the text. Okay. And then I think it's um, eight pixels of padding on the top and bottom. So that's like okay. 28 plus eight or sorry it's 20 plus 8 plus 8 so 28 36 um in total and then okay. plus a one pixel border okay. so, so you end up with a 38 pixel button so it's not a number that's part of tailwind's like sizing scale like i think we go 32 36 40 um okay. so it's out the actual height is out of the scale which is unfortunate but was the best kind of compromise i think um and it's an even number at least though which is like the important thing so that's how we did it. We did the same thing for um for for inputs, and then so we inputs and buttons are done the exact same. Yeah, they all and, end up being thirty eight pixels. Um, yeah, and text areas too. If you did a text area that only had one row, it would be okay. thirty eight pixels. Um, and uh, two rows would be double that. Would and, be and so whatever. On. Yeah. 
Uh, it wouldn't be quite double. It would be some weird math where you. Oh have yeah, because of line height, right? It'd be line height times two plus padding plus border. Right, right. So forty plus eight plus eight plus two. Um, it would just add another twenty, probably, if that's the line height, right? So yeah, it'd be so like fifty-eight, four, fifty-eight, or something. yeah, something like that. Exactly. Interesting. Okay, so you don't have fixed heights anywhere in Tailwind UI. Um. For you never say like the height controls. for form to, to do the spacing of a header. If you're going to build any header or form layout or field set, you would never have height, whatever, eight and a half or whatever that 30, you know, whatever that ends up being. We, we don't use fixed heights for things half, that would change based on content generally. Hmm. Um, so we obviously do use fixed heights for like an avatar or something sure. right in like a header or SVG like a logo or like a logo and, exactly mm-hmm. something like that basically don't use them anywhere else um may, maybe just for sizing images in general you know what i mean like yeah that, that sort but of for, thing but for but for forms and stuff so circling back Not for forms. there was there was one point where um you did see a lot of companies doing that and that was a path you're going to go down but i guess so it's kind of nice you got back to a point where the height was derived um, yeah, that I was feels happy a little more that. natural. Yeah. yeah, because I was, I was willing to like change my stance on that and feel like, okay, well, let's just go with fixed heights. Like now, you can just make everything part of your spacing scale. Mm-hmm. Inputs will be forty pixels or whatever, and mm-hmm. everything will just kind of like be consistent. And I could see the appeal of that, right? But there were just like, there's just something about like ignoring the effect of the content on the element size, right? that it, it, it was going to take some convincing for me to like, just like shake that belief. Right. And I'm comfortable shaking that belief. I've shaken so many other beliefs about CSS <laughs> over the last like six years, you know? Um, but, but yeah, yeah wasn't, didn't have I wasn't to, sure. You didn't have it. to cross that bridge. And, um, and, and again, and, you know. the, the thing that just like made that an easy decision was like text areas. When I remembered the text areas existed, it was like, okay, pro- this is, this is no longer like up for debate this is clearly the correct way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really helpful for just getting past that. The only place we do use fixed heights still is for the actual height of like a nav bar at the top of the page. So the reason that we did that originally I would use padding. um, But what I've found myself doing is I was like adjusting the padding uh, to always achieve like kind of the right height and and depending on the content of the nav bar, I'd have to change the padding. So when I found myself doing that, it made me realize, well, actually, I, all I'm trying to do here is set the height like based on this other stuff. It's not that I actually want the padding to be consistent. It's that I want the height to be consistent, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And uh, a noticeable like effect of using a padding on a, a header is say like you have like a header as you shrink the screen like it switches to like a responsive view where like there's less content mm-hmm. if the tallest element the thing that was dictating the height happens to get hidden like maybe it was a call to action button that like you don't show on a mobile you only show like in like the responsive menu like when you open it up if you hide that button on mobile well now the header shrinks because like that element was the thing that was pushing that thing to be that height so as you like resize the browser you see the header shrink by like four pixels and it's probably fine right like no one would actually notice or care but it just felt incorrect to me it felt like 
I actually just want this to be the same on everything. Um, yeah. So that's the one place where I made the decision to use a fixed height and we just center everything inside of that. So no matter what content yeah. you put in it, as long as the content is smaller, the header won't actually change. Right. Um, so we don't use any padding at all on the, on the headers. Interesting. Just flex and item center basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then just making sure everything's an even height and then it, it generally works out. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So I did have a kind of stepping back from the technical stuff. I, I did have a chance to get my hands dirty a little bit with um, the marketing kit um, pre 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 early, early release um, yeah. like Monday or Tuesday. And it actually aligned with a new project I was starting. And um, yeah, I noticed the new letting utilities and uh, I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but you know, it was working out. And um, so I'm, I, now I understand and it's kind of good to know. So basically, is that going to be I mean, if you were building a new site today, you, you basically would do fixed line heights, even if you were just doing copy and, and stuff like that. I think I probably would, um, because we we do offer like a fixed line height that's appropriate for all of our default font sizes, anyways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I think I would just prefer to not mix the paradigms, since since I know for a fact I'm going to be forced to use the fixed line heights at some point. I feel right. like I might as well just go all in on those. Yeah, it's even to the point now where like I think me and you've even had this conversation at some point when uh, you were working on a site that line height really is like. It's related it's to based the it on your font, font size. size. It, there's, and there's, a, a, there's like a generally a correct one, depend, mm-hmm. no matter what, right? The only well, time it would UI, change. Yeah, they have like a bunch a of those like math for that, right? Yeah. Now, there are situations where that's not totally true. Like, you, we've talked about this before, too, how there's like optimal line lengths for reading, right? Like, mm-hmm. s- say, like 75-ish characters or something mm-hmm. before you want to wrap your text. If for whatever reason you have to make text go like wider because the design calls for it in some way, then like your line height should increase a little bit too so make it easier to find the next line as you go over so there are like situations where yeah you might want to fine-tune it based on that sort of stuff but generally like um what tailwind does out of the box right now which is like 1.5 is a default line height no matter what font size you're using that's like not as useful as yeah providing some default line height that is tied to the font size right it yeah, it's truly tragic that the browser uses that to affect the outside space because otherwise, like just line height one it, would be the ideal default. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you could you could bake it in with the font size, and then you know I found myself having to override line height before to like reduce the bounding box in the vertical space yeah so that's that's too bad but it really um, sucks when you're trying to like space two pieces of text out from each other and you're using padding but you know that you're also like implicitly relying on the fact that like yes. there's some line height it, yes. the, the worst feeling for me is when i have some text using like say it's like font size 24 pixels and i haven't touched the line height at all i just left it at the default which is 1.5 so now that's going to be like 36 pixels line height right mm-hmm. and i know the text is never going to wrap so i'm line height isn't even on my brain because the only time i would ever think about line height is when text is going to wrap because right. that's what you're using it right. to control but now i'm spacing out this 24 pixel text from some some like 40 pixel text above it and i'm setting the padding and i'm like implicitly relying on the <coughs> fact that i have this 36 pixel line height because that's giving me a little bit of that padding as well and now i'm choosing a padding value based on this like incorrect line height value you know what i mean so something i totally. try to be careful of is i always try to consider like if this text had to wrap what yeah. would i want the line height to be and make sure that i add that to it so that any other decisions that i make are not like relying on bad data 
if that makes sense you know what i mean definitely i mean that happened on the mirage site on the nav because the nav is something that you start off with like oh yeah everything's just one line but then you end up with some api that's like wraps and then you realize oh yes i I need to tighten it up and then that ruins your entire vertical rhythm yeah Um, it's so brutal. I almost feel like the next time I start a project, I would do that plug-in approach where maybe just setting the, the, the font size automatically assigns some line height so that you don't start off with a bad assumption and then you can override it in the exceptional cases. Maybe. Yeah, I think but, um, something I want to bake into Tailwind in the future is um, this would probably have to be like a 2.0 thing because it would affect people's designs. But I want to ship like a default line height for every default font size that's just mm-hmm. baked in. And just make sure that the font size utilities are defined before the line height utilities so you can still override it by slapping mm-hmm. the line height utility on it. But maybe the syntax would be like in your config file where you have like SM colon and then currently it's like whatever 0.875 rem. Maybe it's like a tuple syntax where it's mm-hmm. like 0.875 rem comma and then like what the default line height should be for that. Um, cool. You know, like that browser syntax, like if you look at like um, the font property like the shorthand where you'll Mm -hmm. see people do like, you know how you can do like 16 pixels slash two and that like defines like the line height. Oh, I didn't know that actually. I've never seen that before. Yeah. I don't think you can do it in like font size on its own, but you can definitely do it in, uh, in the, the kind of shorthand property. It's kind of like a weird custom syntax. I feel like you don't really see that anywhere else in, uh, In CSS and CSS. No, and it's, it's a kind of a shame that it's not supported in, um, in just like the font size property like that, that would just be a possible syntax for font size for just like defining the line height. Cause yeah. like normally everything is just space separated, right. For right. like these like shorthand things, but this is the right. one place where they have this like custom thing with a slash. So it's Interesting. like, it looks like 24 pixels over 32 pixels, you know what so I mean? So they're basically acknowledging this intrinsic this, relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think it would be cool to bake that into Tailwind so that in the future you can just say, well, I'm using text SM some sensible default line height is set for that and I can override it if I want, but yeah, if I don't, if I'm just good with the sensible one, at least there's a sensible one set. And that would actually let us remove a lot of classses that we're from using the, in tone from the tone UI template templates. Yeah. Very interesting, man. Well, that's a, uh, that's, I think that's a, a great example of how, you know, I think all your work does this, but, uh, you learn so much and most of this is about being educated, um, and so if I was ever going to work on, you know, the next time I work on a, a form, a heavy like uh, form UI in an application, whereas right now I'm doing like a marketing page. But if I was doing an app, you know, now I have this in my mind, just like if I was going to build a UI without React, you know, just using JavaScript, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about, OK, what's my state and then what's the sure. UI as a function yeah, of state. Yeah. Like if I had to write a backbone render function again, uh, <laughs> which yeah. just, just gives you a no op, I'm going to be like rendering as a function of state and i think this is another one of those little tidbits and i've i've already gotten that a lot with both tailwind and tailwind ui even the little bit i've used it is like you just learn these little things that you know come from a lot of research but um are these kind of more robust principles so that's yeah. great yeah for sure definitely that was like that's probably like the most memorable discovery <laughs> of like the whole thing because it was like so painful and the solution so was like so satisfying <laughs> um, yeah yeah so that was really good yeah, Very I'm trying cool. to think like um, other cool stuff. Like one thing that I hadn't really done until Tailwind UI was like really use CSS Grid um, pretty aggressively, um, and it's been kind of interesting because I've always been 
sort of hesitant to jump on a CSS grid train because IE11 support is people say it's supported in IE11, but like you have to, the way you have to author it for IE11 is just like, it's not a nice experience. You know what I mean? To me, it's like either use it the way that it works in like evergreen browsers. Like the big thing with IE11 is there's no auto column placement. So like, say you have like something that's like a grid with, and you've set up three columns and you just put three divs inside of it in modern browsers each one of those divs will just automatically go to a column right in the ie11 spec they'll all try to stack on top of each other in the first column oh. because you haven't explicitly said this div should be in this column this div i should see be in this i column. see so it just is a lot more cumbersome to support and and generally you can basically do everything that i would use grid for with flexbox so i've always yeah. just written my grids with flexbox <clears throat> use that kind of annoying negative margin thing to handle your gutters and stuff like that and just like yeah. move, moved on with my life right yeah that's how i've done it too but uh yeah last week i used grid for the first time as well i actually didn't use it through tailwind do i i used it through tailwind was it 1.2 yeah it came out of um, 1.2 and I hadn't even, this is, just, I'm just getting older and lazier, I guess, but I haven't even taken the time to like properly learn it and I just haven't needed it yet. And I've just relied on flex, Yeah. but that negative margin trick, you know, the problem is if you go from like, uh, um, like columns to like a wrapping thing and then you need like, you have the negative margin for gutters, but then you need like, the vertical you want to match it on vertical. Well. And then I just happened to see the column stuff and I just got rid of all that. And it was incredible. So nice. Uh, It's it's ridiculous. Also, the fact that you can have independent control over the column spacing and the row spacing. I mean, I just, my mind was blown. Yeah. Yeah. I thank you for adding that to Tailwind. (laughs) Yeah. So like the the implementation in Tailwind is like very basic, right? Um, Unlike the I-11 thing, we kind of just decided that when I noticed that Shopify's homepage uses CSS Grid with no fallback and they don't support I-11, I just decided, yep, I'm done with I-11 now too. I don't really yeah. care like what the stats say. Like, If sites that I believe should be supporting more browsers than I care about supporting yeah. are not supporting it, done. GitHub right. doesn't support I-11. Stripe's landing pages don't support I-11. Just like, pff, yeah. okay, I'm over it. Um, let's move forward as... Uh, as community right so um yeah the implementation in tailwind css grid is like such a funky powerful thing where writing it in css you can do all sorts of crazy stuff like define like a grid template using like text like ascii art version of like your template and stuff you know what i mean you can do this really crazy stuff that mm-hmm. is just not very easy to expose that power as utilities so one of the reasons I was like hesitant to really push forward on support for it was if it felt like all we could really offer was like a bootstrap grid um, built with CSS grid. Um, and that is pretty much like what we ended up building. Um, but in practice, it actually ends up still being like so much nicer than the Flexbox grids that it's still worth it. Uh, oh, yeah. And I did find some interesting situations where um, I was actually able to do things with it that were super interesting that I did not even occur to me grid would be the solution for until like I posted something on Twitter and someone said, Oh, you could do this with grid. And then I was like, interesting. Can I do it with grid with tailwind though? And then I found out that I could, and maybe I'll talk about that interesting situation. Yeah. So like the situation was, you know, on like the actual tailwind CSS or tailwind UI pricing page, we have like three cards, right? There's like a card on the left card on the right card in the middle. And the middle card is like bigger and the ones on the left are smaller so um the way that this ui needed to work is the outside pricing cards 
the, I wanted them to always be the same height, even if they had differing amounts of content and they easily could have differing amounts of content because like the package names were different. So what we were finding is that certain screen sizes, there was like a bullet point in each one, one that says like includes all application UI components. And the other one says includes all marketing components includes all marketing components is a much shorter string, right? So at certain screen sizes, the application UI one wraps and one of the words jumps down to the next line. And now that card is like 20 pixels taller than the mm-hmm. other card. And that looks stupid. You want it to be symmetrical. Yeah. So I came up with a solution using Flexbox to do this, which was quite kind of hairy. Yeah. That's what my, my impression would be too. We have a similar situation like Ember map where video titles can be different, but they're all cards. just like a card treatment, like mm-hmm. Netflix homepage you can think exactly. of. And so, yeah. yeah, usually Flexbox is a good solution there because you can just, every child can just fill the stretch. Hype. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So in this case, like I wanted to rely on that Flexbox behavior to get the cards mm-hmm. to stretch to the same height, but because the middle card was actually the tallest one, Mm-hmm. that was like dictating the height of the container that the three cards sat in. So there mm-hmm. was no way for me to like sort of link cards one and cards three and oh. say they should stretch to the same height. Cause there was no like container that was the height of the tallest of the two outer cards. I see. That makes sense. Yeah. So what I had to do is I had to take the middle card and put it in a different container. And what I did is I built like kind of like a pseudo grid and this is all using Flexbox still no CSS grid stuff, but for like car, the outer cards, I put those in a container and I put like an, an empty div in between them that had the same width as the div, as the, the middle card, which to I think was like a for it basically to make room for it. So I think I had like a width five twelfths or whatever, right? <laughs> it's so funny what we do in the web to get these custom know, UIs. You know? <laughs> so I did that and that way I could have like a flex container where the cards were in the right positions on the outside, but the, there was like a height that I could rely on where like they would stretch to fill yeah, each other. Yeah. So and if, then the, you if like, the dynamic content of the left card changed, that three container would thing ch- would change as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then you just use like Flexbox in the column direction on the actual cards themselves to make sure like the button at the bottom is always at the end, no matter how tall the cards are, whatever. Totally. And then then I overlaid that second kind of Flexbox thing on top where I have width five twelfths on the card and then MX autos to push to center it. Okay. So that there's room for the two cards on the outside. Got you. And uh, that was kind of how I did it. And I thought this was actually like, I'm pretty proud of the solution. It was like... It's clever, but it's also like very, it's fairly robust. Yeah. Like as the content changes, things are going to stay the same way that they would. Another solution I'd considered for that in the past was using like a negative vertical margin on the middle card to like kind of pull it out. But then you're only Mm. able to like increase the height by some like fixed amount. When what I really want is I just want things to be based on the content. So I want the middle Mm -hmm. card to be as tall as it needs to be based on its content. Outer cards to be as tall as it needs to be based on the content of the tallest card. Right. Um, so I got that all working and then someone mentioned on Twitter that I think you could probably do this more easily with grid. So I started looking into it to see what I could do. And the trick to getting this to work, which is pretty magical is I made a three column grid, right? For the three, or maybe I didn't do it as three columns. I probably did it as a 12 column grid or a 10 column grid or something. I think it was a 10 column grid where I had like three, three columns four columns, three columns okay. for the widths of the cards. Okay. But now of course, like these cards are all either going to be the same height yep. or they're going to be all stuck to the top or yep. uh, they're going to be centered, but then you have that differing heights problem again. Mm. Right. So the way that you solve this with grid is you make it a three row grid. You give it an explicit 
row count of three. So there's like a row, a row, a row. And for the first card, you say row start two. And grid lines are not zero indexed, right? So this is always a confusing thing for Mm. programmers. Um, So like the first row, the line above the first row is row one. The line between rows one and two is row line two. Then the line between rows two and three is row line three. And the bottom line is always row line four. So there's always one more line than rows. So if you have a three row grid, there's lines one, two, three, four. One, two, okay. So what you do is for the first I'm card, I'm holding up three fingers on my desk right now, so I can follow along. <laughs> you have four fingers, and then the gaps between them is like the rows, right? Wait, no, I have three fingers as the rows, and the gaps between them are the lines. Okay, okay, okay. Wait, if you're driving, pull over because it was getting intense. <laughs> so what I did is I um, I made it a three row grid, and okay. then I said the first pricing card should start at row line two. Yeah. End at row line three. So there's an empty row above it, empty row below it. Got you. Exact same thing for the last one. It should start, it should basically span the middle row, but not be inside of the outer two rows. Yeah. And then the middle card, I say, well, this should span all three rows. And what the browser does is it's smart enough to make the first row and the last row, the height is automatically calculated based on. Only the, the middle card, because that's the only on one that's middle, actually taking card. using yeah. those rows. So they end up being the same height, and that height is one half of whatever the total height difference is between like the, the short cards and the tall cards. And now it's just a very simple thing. It's like a CSS grid, div, 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 a couple classes on each one to specify where wow. it should sit in the grid, and it's just perfect. Yeah. Now, wouldn't the outer, wouldn't that mean that the content in cards one and three could also affect? card two now if they get but that actually do you want that you want that yeah if for whatever reason the outer cards were taller than the middle card then um it w- the middle card would get stretched in height right so yeah. that would probably be like in theory correct i think like one of the sort of constraints of this design is is just like your middle but, card should have them either the most content or just be the tallest because you're using bigger fonts right. or whatever right like right, right, it's supposed right. to be the emphasized card right. so if it's right. not bigger then you've you've made a mistake so is it almost right that makes sense is it almost like a table like behaves where when you have like a table in css and the auto the height is i'm just kind of visualizing it like that this design where i think it's similar yeah the thing is is making it bigger and so the whole row stretches and so that's basically exactly what you want exactly that's so cool yeah so i was really pleased when like someone pointed that out to me on twitter and i got that working because that simplified uh, the code a lot and that was like a really interesting moment for me because it just like sort of unlocked this thing in my brain in terms of like wait a minute there's like interesting shit i can do with grid that right hadn't occurred it's to not me. just a, a normal yeah. like, col- and, column span and stuff in the first in the beta releases of tailwind 1.2 i didn't include any utilities for specifying stuff related to rows because i couldn't find any use case for it i I just like what could we i can see how these are useful for really custom layouts where you're going to specify custom stuff in your config but as like a general purpose thing i cannot see where these are useful and then i got kind of convinced to include them anyways just to make things like consist actually you know what the reason was was um i was documenting the features and when i as soon as i realized that i was going to have documentation pages that were basically empty it was like wait a minute it's very weird to be documenting like a a feature that doesn't do anything unless you customize it so i should have some defaults here um you know what i mean so like we had you had the utilities but you didn't provide any default scale we had like the the core plugin was there yeah yeah and like the config keys existed yeah but we provided no values i see 
So they made it really hard to document yeah. um, and confusing for people. So I thought, you know what? I should just provide like a few, even if I don't think they're amazing. Um, and what I ended up providing, I think was like, I think I have enough to support like six rows. So it's like 12 columns and six rows. Gotcha. Um, and I only needed three rows for this. So it was fine. Uh, but yeah, I, I ended up actually using it and needing it and it let me implement this design really easily. So very cool. Yeah. Very cool for sure. Yeah. You're, uh, you know, you're, you are, um, you, you're, you start a mutiny against flex and at first it was against relative line height and now it's against flex. You just, flex you wouldn't still, even recognize yourself from a year good, ago. Man. Flex is still good. <laughs> I, I don't think flex is the right thing to build grids with, but there are so many things, so many, um, ui patterns that like require flexbox flex flex to me is still like the core bread and layout butter. you know what I mean? like that yeah. is like like grid is good for the things that it's good for but like as a general purpose like utility like flex is the shit I, I, it is pretty crazy um, though i mean you look at like figma's homepage marketing it's all grid i mean and and after i started using uh grid uh, on that last section of my marketing homepage i was working on um and i realized you could get the spacing and once they wrap the spacing is there too i literally went back onto all dude. my previous pancakes basically undid the negative margin gutter flex thing and now i'm like yeah i don't know man i'm a believer <laughs> That is the best feature of grid actually is like that gap property. Yeah. Um, yeah. hundred percent in the ama- what I found myself doing and I can't decide if this is terrible or not is I'm often use using grid for one column grids just so I can use gap. That's as what I was. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, so, you know, you had Mark on the podcast and he was talking about that stack component. So I had this problem before I had was like, all right, I'm going to try grid when I was still using flex. And, and I started making basically a grid react component that could take like responsive spacing and do all this stuff because I was just, you know, wiring up the negative margin and then the margin top to keep that was just crazy. So I wanted to encapsulate it in a component. And then I found grid and I literally did everything with the tailwind grid classes, undid my entire like abstraction. And then I was looking at my page and I was like, I kind of feel like everything should just be grid. Like it, even, you know, paragraphs of text and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And yeah the thing i don't know if it should necessarily be grid per se but that feature of grid is amazing and that feature of grid is also like exists in flexbox now like in the spec so you can have like gap for flex elements yeah that would be awesome and um it's implemented in firefox and it's behind a flag in like the chrome canary i think right now and the reason that that is freaking awesome in um in that situation so something like that I've, I did in uh tailwind UI in some places, this comes back to like that whole thing about like trying to build things as resilient as possible. Right. Is say we have like, um, say we have like a header for like a page and have you seen that pattern? That's like super common where we've got kind of like the title on the left and like big bold text, or whatever. And then all the way aligned to the right is like some action buttons, you know, like maybe there's like three buttons there for like different, like kind of top level actions you could do mm-hmm. on the page, like mm-hmm. preview this form in like the live view or like edit this form or save changes or whatever. Right. Yep. And, um, when we were doing the responsive versions of that stuff, at some point you want those buttons to like drop down underneath the title when there's like not Mm -hmm. room for them to be like fully justified. Right. And if you're just building like an app by yourself where you know, like what the content is 
in that title and it's just kind of guaranteed to be certain content it's very easy to just find the break point where yep there's not really enough room now so we'll just like drop it down and we'll just do like m md flex and let it be block underneath that and it'll just be fine right but when you're trying to build something like tailwind ui where you want things to be like adaptable to different content we don't have the luxury of that so we just had to kind of our first pass at some of those things was just like deciding arbitrarily uh i guess we'll just like make this work for small screens and above and if someone has a really long piece of text well they can just like change that sm to md mm-hmm. you know like they own the html anyways yep i actually did that with one of the headers so yeah super easy to change that yeah yeah which is the nice thing about it just being html that you own um right. but but you want to find something nice, that was ideally could work more adaptively ideally you would just have that uh those buttons kind of like drop down underneath when there was no more room for them to be up on like the same line mm. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, so when this gap property lands in Flexbox, you'll be able to, uh, to do that a lot more easily. Cause basically you'll just have like flex wrap enabled. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But instead of like, you know, how like right now on those buttons, that group of buttons, you probably have like an ML8 or something, right? To make sure that there's always a gap between right. the text and the buttons. Right. Right now, as soon as that wraps onto the next line, now they're pushed in. They're mm. inset and it's like, pff, kill me. Yes. Right. Um, now, if you're doing everything just with like media queries and you're just going to like hard code when that changes, well, then of course you can just remove the margin. But right. if you want it to be like fluid, then you can't. But using the gap property, that if you use amazing. the gap property between them instead of the margin, it's just gone automatically because now there's nothing that's um, amazing between i mean that's literally what you're trying to encode i mean it's the same thing with this layout and and the grid stuff is that you care about what's in between and so yeah that's that is awesome basically anywhere we kind of hacked around it using um negative margins yeah you know the mark marks marks yeah yeah. we implemented that for a bunch of things but it's just like i'm hesitant about if it's the best thing to do because it it increases the complexity of the markup so much that i think like it's going to make some people like less confident changing it you know what i mean the f- like using y- using grid everywhere or this no, flex, using using this like negative property. margin oh, flex yeah. wrap thing to to yeah. be able to do that wrapping thing cuz so you got an extra wrapper on everything with like negative mt this negative ml that yeah mhm man it's just so funny like the layout <laughs> stuff and I mean, going back to when I first started using Tailwind, we talked about this like two years ago. You were always like one of the hardest things when using BEM or Bootstrap or whatever is like the stuff in between components. And now it's like we're I feel like we're finally talking about it in an appropriate way where it's like it's all layout and white space. Like this is the this is like the first class citizen that we have been missing. And it's like it's almost now it's like if you're using padding and margin to control white space, it's kind of like almost a smell, right? you can think of it almost as like these are the the hacks that we've had available to us but what you really want are these like layout primitives like like grid and flex which have a notion of specified this is how things should be spread out yeah yeah, exactly 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 so uh it'll be interesting to see what our our layouts look like you know in a couple years when this has had a chance to mature but yeah i'm telling you like once i use that grid thing i was like thinking about the simplest web page which was like a heading and text and then if you want to like ever go to two columns you know of text on like a big screen then yeah. you're gonna just change it all and wrap it in grid and make it one column small and i'm like why don't we just do that everywhere now <laughs> yeah you know 
Yeah. I still can't decide if it's cool to just like basically use grid as a replacement for display block just to take advantage of um, the the gap. But yes. I have done it. I did it on like the Tailwind UI site itself. I didn't do that in any of the components because I, mm. I felt like it was kind of like it's a big change. I mean, there's a there's a, a pragmatist the argument path, for right? sure, like, for sure. Um, but yeah, I've been experimenting with it in my own stuff, and it's pretty sweet. I'm as soon it's as really like sweet. that lands in all the browsers and is like reliable to use, like probably like two or three years from now, still. Um, flex gap you're talking about flex gap yeah i think that's gonna like completely change the way that i build things because i don't know if you knew knew this you know like react native web nicholas gallagher's like project that like the new twitter is kind of built with and stuff like that No, actually so it's like it's like a it's like a what do you call it like a thing for react native like a new target for react native that compiles react native code for the web instead of for like phones right because Nicholas really liked the primitives that were offered by React So instead Native. of using React DOM and doing like divs, he wants to be able to use text and view, but then exactly. have it go, okay, I feel like we're so just that, going that, around in circles yeah, here. I know. <laughs> so now like there's this like web target of React Native. And okay. um, the way that th- that's all done, well, not that's not the right way to say it, but like one of the, the principles of how that works is like there is no display block. There is no display inline. It's like display flex is every element is flex flex call by default. And that's just how everything is done. And I could totally see myself building web pages like that in the future where like I'm mm-hmm. literally only using grid and flex variants and never inline or block basically. Um, and then you get to use this gap feature and you can like, stretch things out to fill a space like it's just like if you're building software and you're not like styling like a essay or something it's such a better paradigm you know dude the fact that we use text center to change our layout of like ui components is just (laughs) completely ridiculous it's totally ridiculous even the idea of like margin left auto margin right auto like it's like we're we've accepted it but it's not like it's not layout language, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like that's one of those things that like probably wasn't designed for you to be able to center blocks of content necessarily, right? right. You know, um, yeah. So no, there's so many know. good It'll things. Like, I, another thing I've started doing is is putting the max width, um, like measuring text where we were talking about that earlier, the 75 characters. Yeah, and I always used to do that, but I'd be frustrated by it. Let's say you have a text component and. When it's small, you want it to be measured. So you kind of measure it by like 30 rem or something like that. So regardless of what text size you put it, you know it's going to wrap nicely. Um, But if you're doing like normal block styling, now you have this text. And if you want it like centered, uh, it's going to be hard to center it. Like if you had a heading and then you had a text block and it was measured and you just put text center like or something. or, or, or you want it basically the, the 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 max width being on the text block pushes it left. Flex is a great solution to that because you can have the text block measured, but then the parent can use like flex, and then you can use like justify and align to align that block. And so yeah. it's, these these things are just so much better than basically having the parent having to be like measured based on the text of what's inside of it, which is like an unclear relationship. Just another example yeah, of like yeah. when I really started heavily going in on flex and how much it simplified my layout code. Yeah. 
It's awesome. It's very cool stuff for sure. I yeah. remember the day when it, it dawned on me that like, hey, wait a minute, we can use Flexbox now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I remember everyone had been talking about it for years, but like browser support wasn't good enough and we didn't have evergreen browsers like in common use yet. And then like one day it just kind of happened and it was like, wait a minute, it's safe to use Flexbox now. Yeah. And that was just Glorious like, day. <laughs> life changed. So I feel like the same way about Grid now, and I'm very excited about the day where I have that realization about Gap for Flex, because that is going to be, that's really going to be interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. there's like, I, I added this like utility to Tailwind just for the purposes of Tailwind, the Tailwind UI site. I always have to be clear to like differentiate like Tailwind UI, the product from like the web app we built. Did like, you use any Tailwind UI components proper for Tailwind UI the site? We haven't, but we kind of did it the opposite. We like took components that we designed for Tailwind UI and included them, or for the site, for the and site included and them, inclu- backported them in because they were good. Yeah, yeah. So like our pricing page is going to be available as one of like the pricing page examples. Oh, cool. Um, our all our login forms and stuff. I think the login form is already in there, but we're going to make like reset password forms and stuff like that too nice. and put those in there. Um, and probably I'd have to look and even see if I can identify what other components are even there. There's definitely some like we have this like welcome banner that I think was kind of like a cool little, there's so many component categories yeah, the by the way the that bottom. you would never have identified in your life until yeah. like you're on working on a project like this, like page header. Or, page you know. header was like one that eluded us for so long and mm-hmm. then but it's so obvious in hindsight and it's such like a bread and butter component mm-hmm. but it's not available in like most like ui frameworks there's, totally. there's not like here's a bunch of options for like the text that goes at the top of the page and different types of content you might want to include alongside and, and like, like the four sublinks you know it's like secondary yeah. nav it's super important actually yeah so we have this component like if you visit tellunui.com in uh incognito mode so you're not like logged in or whatever and you go to explore the preview there's this like banner at the top that's like getting acquainted with telling UI. it's almost like kind of like an onboarding block and um i still have to think about what it, what is the category that that lives in mm. but i think like there's a lot more ideas for something even like that you know it's like kind of an introduction it it's got like a call to action it's got like some like quick links to like okay here's kind of like places that you should look to get started um but i think there's all sorts of opportunities for interesting interesting stuff like that to get added so i'm really looking forward to keeping hacking on this thing and building it out more yeah um i I think what what when you guys ended up deciding to start extracting things you know and instead of starting with the components um was a really solid move and also when i see things like this like i can look at this page right here and see this component you're talking about and imagine how i would use it and uh even in like the discord channel for tailwind ui you know there's a showcase and you can see people putting things together and it's i I haven't even really been able to have a chance to look at that but i'm excited to do (laughs) it yeah i think that i think that it could be a really cool thing maybe even to to show on the site um again because i think uh it's very easy it's understandable why someone would not understand not like misunderstand what they can build with tailwind or tailwind ui because they are going to see it like oh now every site's going to look the same, but that's just not true at all with either Tailwind or Tailwind UI. Again, the marketing site that I worked on last week, it looks 
you, you couldn't even tell it was built with Tailwind at all. Um, but yeah. I ended up using the header and the hero component and just tweaking the theme. And, and But it got me the responsive nav. It got me so much more than starting out from scratch. It was amazing. Um, and so I think we're going to see people in that showcase section building really cool stuff with it and it just helps inspire you just like if you look at dribble you look at full mock-ups seeing what you can do and then saying oh okay i can just hover over this maybe and this is the this is the page header and this is the cta i mean it's really cool there's so many cool things that you know can come from this yeah man it's gonna be a fun project to keep working on uh for sure yeah we're excited like we have these kind of like grayed out categories for just like general page examples which i think is going to be a a good place for people to go and see like like right now in application ui we have categories for home screens which we i wanted to call them dashboards but i think that sends like the wrong message sometimes i think it makes people think of charts and graphs which is not really what it is you know what i mean to me it's more like that first page that you land on when you log into an app that you use day to day, you right. know, it is your dashboard, but that doesn't mean like it's an analytics dashboard. It, right. It's like when you log into the Zite site, it's like, here's like the four most recent projects you've interacted with and like a summary of like recent activity on your account, you know? Yep. Home um, screen is good. Yeah. Dashboard portal, whatever it is, it's all yeah. home, the home screen. Yeah. So I think it'd be fun to build out like a bunch of examples for these, some with sidebars, some with stack navigation, some with like the brand colors changed, you know what I mean? And you can just kind of click through and, and we'll figure out some way to sort of annotate. And you, so you can see like this component, by the way, like there's a whole category of these over here. If you want to go look, yeah. And, uh, that's we really exciting. The full page yeah. examples, I think, is going to be I know. Awesome. It's funny, right? Because, like, I, uh, it, that, that wasn't obvious to me that that was, like, a necessary thing or, like, a good idea because I was worried that people were just going to, like, take them and build their site. And I think a big problem that we have when we try to use templates and stuff is you try to like create content to fit the template instead of like the other way around. Mm-hmm. So if you start with a piece that's too big, sometimes you, um, you're not like, instead of picking a component based on like what you're trying to display, you're trying to like figure out what you should display based on the component that you like. Right. Right. And I think the bigger the component gets, like the more likely that problem kind of rears its head, you know? Yeah. You just add mess to your site basically. Yeah when it doesn't need it but again it's but i think it's great for inspiration inspiration, and and just for teaching people helping people understand what a component is and where it would go yep um so that's going to be fun we get we get to finally like make up some fake web apps and stuff like we we spent like five grand on logos fake logos from like (laughs) different logo designers on dribble that had like work from clients that didn't get used like maybe they designed five logos and the client chose one and the other four just went to waste for us we don't care like right. what it is right we're just like oh this is like a this looks cool <laughs> and we'll buy like your scraps from you nice. so we have this like war chest of logo scraps that we can use for like different fake app ideas fake apps. with different color schemes and stuff like that so and i think that'll be really it. good for marketing too right we can share we can share some of those maybe we'll make a couple of them like live demos that people can click through and um go and obfuscate the css or whatever so people don't just rip it off but uh do you have any easter eggs in any of these uh code blocks here where like if no, i just copy this and the paste it blocks. in <laughs> there's only that that one easter egg that uh co- that i pointed out to you the other day that i think you yeah, found on your own rick astley yeah <laughs> yeah that was a proud moment for me it's always <laughs> fun when i can inject like a little bit of you know personality and like real life humor into 
something um, for anyone listening i like sent out this email that had like links to check out two preview pages that i put together with toe and ui and the urls were like slash page examples slash details view 01 and slash page example slash landing page 01 and uh, as soon as i saw like the O one in the URL, I was like, Oh my God, people are going to hundred percent try and like type in O two. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I just like th- opened my routes file and my Laravel app threw in a couple, uh, Rick roll redirects. Nice. Uh, we caught dozens of people. It's sure, <laughs> yeah. so. pretty Absolutely. fun. Now, man, th- these look really polished. And, and again, I think, um, there's so much value here, even if you're not going to ever buy these, Basically, I think people should. I think it's a great product. But just like with Tailwind, just like with Refactoring UI, there's so much stuff here that people can learn. I think you guys really just doubled down and focused on you know, um, the most important parts of the, the polish, the things that are important to you. So you know, I was really surprised and just delighted when I dropped that responsive header in and, and the hero to see things like focus states and hover states and all that stuff really thought through. Um, very well. So uh, I know people are really appreciating the polish and, and I don't know, maybe you want to talk a little bit about some of the feedback or what kind of what people are, are saying about it, what, what questions they have, if there's anything you could take this as an opportunity to address. Um, yeah. I mean, generally like the feedback has been, uh, has been good. Like um, there was a lot more attention on it than I expected. I kind of uh, thought with, you know, we try to make it really clear that it's like not done yet. This is like early access. And the, the reason we kind of pushed ourselves to get it out was because I kept hearing from people who were like, can I just like get what you have right now? It would be really helpful for a project I'm working on. I don't care if it's not done yet or if you still have more stuff that you want to add. Um, so what we are finding is that this is this project is like a black hole of effort, right? Like it could literally just be worked on forever. So at some point we have to decide to actually just let people start using it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we set this deadline for ourselves, got it out there. And I, I thought it would have been kind of just the diehards, people who really wanted in buying it. But uh, it's been pretty crazy. Like thousands of people have picked it up so far, which has been awesome. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and there's a, there's some edges that need polishing. Like, uh, I think we were smart about putting our focus in the right places. Like, um, for example, the documentation. There's no documentation on the actual site. I wrote up the docs in Notion and just linked to like public Notion pages, and it doesn't look as good as like a real thing would. But it means that I got to spend a little bit more time polishing like the actual components that people are going to be using instead of like wasting that time on this like documentation polish um so as long as the content is there you know people can get by and mm-hmm. that's something that we want to improve but yeah a little rough around the edges in certain places like that um but so far it's been good you know a couple common questions people have been ha- asking us is like stuff around like the licensing trying to license a product like this is really complicated it's the first time i've ever released a product that where a license was even a thing i had to think about you know because hmm. people want to know like what projects am i allowed to use it on what projects am i not allowed to use it on and mm-hmm. um our goal has just been to like make it as lax as possible like use it for whatever the hell you want because mm-hmm. i hate when companies just try to like throw this fine print at you that make things really complicated like to me like the worst offenders of this are font companies yeah Um, i said to other people i was like i never want anyone to look at me the way i look at a font company yeah (laughs) um so the way we license it is you can literally use it for 
all your personal projects, any like commercial businesses you try to build. So if you're trying to build a SaaS app, you can use it. If you're building a site for a client and handing it off to the client at the end of the day, you can use it for that too. The client doesn't even need to have a license for it. You just build it for them, give it to them. They don't even know that you use Tailwind UI. Who cares? Um, it's awesome. Uh, Extremely permissive. Yeah. Then we have like a team license too. That's like, uh, it's like a little more than double the cost. Uh, probably I should make that more money. So if you are interested in a team license, you should buy it soon before <laughs> we raise the price of that. Uh, but that just l- lets you share access with your entire team and your entire team can use it for internal projects, for open source projects, for client projects, whatever. If you want to use it on a com- on an open source site, that's totally fine too. Just open source your site. I don't care. The, o- the only thing that like we really tried to protect against in the license and it's very tricky to like get the wording just right and make it perfectly clear is like, obviously I don't want someone building some open source thing that's like called Tailwind UI alternate viewer that includes every single component but it's yeah. an open source project right so right the spirit of the, of the license is just like do whatever you want as long as you're not like maliciously trying to undermine our business right. you know um so yeah that, seems that's fair. been <laughs> seems more it's been, fair <laughs> yeah it's been it's been tricky to like obviously people have been emailing us questions trying to get clarity sometimes because people want to be careful um, that they don't do anything that they're not allowed to do. But so mm-hmm. far, you know, that's been pretty good. And the other c- common question has been around like right now, these are all just like HTML only templates, right? That's kind of like the, the boundary that we set for ourselves. We know like there's some components like a responsive nav bar or a drop down where for it to be useful, it has to like be interactive in some way, right? Like I have to be able to click a button and have like the drop down open. And we d- decided to like keep our scope like, on the other side of that line. So just focused on like the design and like the markup implementation, but some elements of the design are inherently coupled with the idea of them being interactive. So like yeah. when a drop down opens, like how should the opening happen? Should it transit? How should it transition? Should it be scaling from 50% to a hundred percent when it opens or should it be from 95% to a hundred percent? How long should the transition be? What easing curve should you use? Um, so, trying to find the right balance between like documenting that for people, but also like trying to make it clear that like this You're is not just prescribing the how they're going to yeah. do the JavaScript state yeah. management and, yeah. and, and yeah. what framework it's going to be in mm-hmm. and what they're using Originally, to actually like, add it. My plan was to do like examples using view because I think um, amongst tailwind users view is the most popular framework, probably just as a artifact of, my audience being more view developers than the react developers for example um but when i sent out some previews that included view code some people were like oh my just like some feedback my first thought when i look at this is like oh it's using view i'm a react developer so this isn't really for me mm-hmm. and even then like the view code was never like meant to be production ready bulletproof view code it's literally right. just like here's like a bare minimum right we've got one piece of state that we're toggling when you click a button just so you can see like what the transition is supposed to look like and just so you can look at the code and see what classes we're toggling on and off so eventually what i ended up doing is switching it from view to alpine js which is like a a very view inspired library written by my friend kale porzio that is super lightweight and is basically like a vanilla javascript um, library like it, it has a very similar syntax of view but works on server rendered stuff and the main benefit is all of the information 
is contained in the HTML. Mm. So with Vue, there's like a script block at the end right. where you have your data and all that stuff. With Alpine, it's exactly like Vue, except there's a little attribute you put on the root element that says X dash data equals, and that's like the def- the initial state for the component. So the nice thing about Alpine was it just it let us stay in this like HTML only paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. And I tried to come up with ways to like uh, sort of like document what classes needed to be toggled and what transitions to use using just like pure HTML comments, but it was so verbose and mm-hmm. um, it was actually more work to understand that than it was to just like read the Alpine JS attributes. Like the Alpine JS stuff is basically like pseudo code that works. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. So. In yeah, some ways, I, I, I noticed like, it before I even knew what Alpine was because, again, I had that early, early access. That yeah, sweet, yeah, you know, yeah. early, early access. That sweet, early access. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. I, I, I use the responsive bar. And so the responsive bar uh, on mobile has a toggle. And, you know, I was working in a React, having to be working in a React app. And so brought it in, changed it over, you know, changed all my class to class name. And then I noticed that. And, yeah, it, it was like something yeah, like did, X colon open. Uh, is open should be yeah block hidden like the thing that I see yeah. you do a lot so yeah. I just did that with React and it worked yeah and you didn't even have to like look it up like read no. about the Alpine docs no I mean it was very yeah. obvious you know yeah yeah so I think that's been like generally a good choice with some people some people have said like I wish this didn't include any JavaScript framework like they opened a GitHub issue and I totally agree I think in a perfect world I would figure out a way to do this with HTML only but when I posted like here's an example of what it would look like without Alpine with just comments everyone like unanimously was like fuck this Alpine is better than that yeah <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> so sometimes people just yeah. need to be like they need to like be brought along for the whole journey to yeah. kind of come to the same conclusion you know what I mean yeah. so I totally see how people would have that um that feeling i mean i think until you're just writing our all of our apps for us people are going to be asking for you know more <laughs> yeah that's that's the challenge that's a logical right? conclusion i think i think in a perfect <laughs> world we would eventually have some sort of like full featured javascript implementations of of things but that's so much work that if that's our mvp then like this product wouldn't be out now you know it'd be months and months and months and months away. yeah and and also i mean html and css are you know um they are the common denominator so um it makes sense to build those off sure. of that you know yeah. all the javascript frameworks are outputting that anyways and so um that definitely makes the most sense to start with that yeah i think and i just I think know i just know that i can use all of my tail and ui components if i'm working on a gatsby site if i'm working on an ember site whatever right and i think maybe there's room for us to just eventually take the approach that we've already taken with um the alpine snippets and just offer like the exact same thing but like in jsx at least instead Mm -hmm. of in html so it's like you don't have to go and replace class with class name Mm -hmm. you don't have to like find situations where we don't have like a self-closing thing because react is way more strict about that than html you know like things like that right um Maybe there's a way for us to just pro- to provide like a React starting point, um, but yeah, it's a it's a very different project and bigger project for us to say. Okay, now we're gonna own um, all the keyboard navigation and all the focus trapping and all the other like kind of complex UI behavior. So we're kind of deliberately staying away from that. Um, just like a library like Balma does, you know, it's it's targeted at people who people like myself at least who generally shy away from like javascript ui pre-built components because 
they inevitably don't do quite what you want. Of course. And I mean, it, I think that's, again, a beautiful thing. Like, the, you know, you have something in React ecosystem like Downshift, which is like renderless. Yeah. Uh, and now you can pair it with the, this is like the rendering part. And those two libraries work in concert with each other. And 100%. they have their own responsibilities. So Yeah. And maybe eventually there'll just be more solutions like downshift out there for common patterns like this where i mean i think if you don't write a library like that it's you're bound to be frustrated with it and move on from it you know yeah, yeah for sure or you're just building a one-off for your project which is like this one drop down and it's totally fine that it does exactly what i have hard-coded in this component because right. that's all it needs to do and it keeps the code to 15 lines right. instead of a 12 file 1200 line library that tries yes. to do work for every situation yeah totally so we'll see where where that stuff goes uh in the future but right now i've got to keep cranking on the rest of the components that uh, we promised so gonna be busy yeah. but it should be fun it's really neat i think i think you know after your last interview with mark um I, and i just saw on twitter actually that the github started using playroom as well and i was thinking how fun would it be to uh wrap some of the tailwind ui components uh, and pull it into Playroom and just see what it would be like to just kind of drop them and stack them and, yeah, and just yeah. play around with different configurations. I feel I like actually, yeah, I haven't played with Playroom much at all, so I don't really know how it really works. It's in really terms of neat. like how you like nest things and it's kind just of very fast and and very the whole UI is really focused on that use case. But I just think this idea of having components and code and also the way we're writing components now. It's just, um, yeah, it's, it's really fun and exciting. And just stuff like Tailwind UI just enables people who don't have as strong of a design background, you know, coupled with something like a Playroom or even if you had them in your own app and were just trying different configurations out. I saw someone else in the Tailwind UI Discord saying they basically had the, they like made a page by having like 10 include statements. Yeah, they had yeah. already pulled the, the UI components in and they could just try different things by changing like a string in the include statement. So yeah. I think it's a really cool to see those kind of happening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I saw someone on Twitter even made like a little internal company prototype using like content editable where they could just like build web pages with the Tailwind UI components right in the browser. Oh, cool. It's interesting stuff. I don't know. Like I have a hard time believing that like that would make a good product or at least it's not a product that I'm that interested in because like I want to make stuff for developers and I don't think developers want to use those tools. Yeah. Um, but like it's the like Dreamweaver stuff, with I Tailwind think. UI. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. I think but, the Playroom stuff is, 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 is interesting because it's that's again, that's what I not to like be a fanboy here, but I, I love that you are not willing to work to put a product out in the world that you wouldn't want to use on your own. And because you have your own standards, like you're not going to make things where you have to compromise those. Um, and the playroom stuff seems like a really cool uh, crossover between that. People like you and I are never going to use something like Dreamweaver and have to edit yeah. like machine generated code. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just interesting. I think there is something there in the middle that you know, we're getting closer to. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed learning a bit about what I learned building Tailwind UI. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullsackradio.com slash 135. If you want to learn more about Tailwind UI, you can head over to tailwindui.com. Again, picking that up is a really great way to show some support for Tailwind CSS as well as support this podcast. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.